Inflation from June to July, according to the Consumer Price Index, was zero. Let me say that again. It was zero. There was no inflation. The overall basket of goods and services that the Consumer Price Index measured, the total price from June to July did not rise. Now, in a highly inflationary environment, and I have folks been in a highly inflationary environment. I remember it very, very well in the 70s and 80s. It, that number went up every month a bunch. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, where Jeff McClure could be heard to say... Yeah, but on the other hand... So expect that later in the episode, right, at some point, right? somewhere, along, uh, followed by the other hand. This is The Personal Wealth Coach. This is Jake McClure uh, uh, with... I'll do it the right way so we can say our names together. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jake and Jeff McClure. There we go. Now we said our names together and we're done for the day. We can go home now. All right. We Wait go a home. minute. I'm already at home. Um, I'm not. I'm at work. All right. So this is the Personal Wealth Coach. We're going to talk to you about stuff because this is the type of program it is. It's a talk program. So expect that as well coming forward. Before we talk about stuff, we have to talk about other things. And the other things we have to talk about are our disclosures. The, the Personal Wealth Coach is not just the name of a radio program, though it is that. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Why do we have to tell you that? Well, because if we say something that's grossly inappropriate, um, we have less freedom of speech than other people who are not registered with the federal government to give investment advice. So the penalties are higher on us. We could have issues. If we were just a radio program, we could say anything we really wanted as most financial radio programs could and tell you stocks will go up forever or bonds are the safest thing ever or anytime you have ever at the end of it, um, you should never do that. Uh, anyway, uh, the SEC, just because we're registered with them, doesn't say that they uh, think that we're in any way better than anyone else. They do not uh, affirm us, give us credit or anything else. We simply registered with them and in the same time registered with them to give investment advice, which we can't give on the air. This is a long-winded statement about stuff that isn't things we can do on the air. What are we doing on the air? We're giving education. We can't give advice on the air because advice is supposed to be tailored to the person receiving it and in their best interest if it's the fiduciary advice. So that's not what we're doing. Hopefully, we're going to give you a bunch of education that lessens the confusion. Did you hear the question mark on the end of that? I did. I have only ever found that the more I study, the more I'm confused about things. Like, why don't we know that stuff already? Um, so registered with the SEC, but they're not buddy, buddy with us there. I could have said that like that. Uh, do you have a disclosure for us? Well, I can say that the information that we use on this radio program, this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable 
but is neither warranted nor guaranteed as to its accuracy or completeness. I, I love that you say obtain. It makes it sound so much sexier than browsing the internet and looking at uh, verified sources. We obtained this data. We deem it to be reliable. That's cool. I mean, how often do you get to use deemed? I, I, I try to fit it into normal conversations. I deem this coffee is hot. There. So what happened in the market this week? Something happened in the market this week? I believe it opened and closed each of the weekdays and that people traded on it and that oh. some people bought and some people sold and some people did both. Wall Street, 44 Wall Street, which is the location of the New York Stock Exchange, remained essentially at 44 Wall Street all week. Yes, there, was, uh, there were no moving vans uh, present, so we believe that the market remained stable, even though orbiting the sun and rotating quickly. But as far as the numbers and the statistics and imaginary stuff that we work, the venerable, as we call it, the S&P 500 stock index, otherwise affectionately known by its followers, you know it has followers on social media? I mean, I, I have tried to follow uh, Wall Street, and I, it, doesn't, do. it doesn't really move, so I just yeah, stand does. there. Well, you're west of it, so you're following it. Anyway, it, uh, the SPX, the S&P 500 stock index, had a delightful week for people who are invested in stocks. Uh, it was up 3.26% to 4280.15, which is good. And it's good for several really good reasons. It was up 16.73% from its low in early June. That's a lot of rise from June. Yes, it is. 16.73% from mid-June when it hit its bottom, which there was a rousing consensus at that point in the media and among the pundits that this is not the bottom. This is a bear market rally. It's a fake head shift. Don't invest yet. And it promptly went up 16%. Now, for the technical guys... The chartists, the people who draw lots of funny charts and and gals, the the the, the people, well, guys is is kind of a unisex thing now. I think. Anyway, the um, the key is the S and P five hundred stock index is now up more points than it than halfway to its where it started to fall. Uh, 42.31 was the halfway point, and the chartists are excited because they mark that as the end of a bear market. Now, other people mark the end of a bear market is when it's risen 20%, but it's only up 16.73. So it, there's there's some great – this is what economic, market pundits do, and they argue about very, very important things like, are we still in a bear market? Anyway, the um, – <laughs> What is your job? I argue about things. The, what happens yeah. if you win the argument? Well, nothing. If you're, if you're attorney, you get paid. Yeah. And, anyway. And these arguments, pundit arguments, uh, you just get to go home and say, I won that argument. It didn't so, change reality at all. The S&P 500 is down, still down 10.2% from its high in early January, but up 45.57% from three years ago at this time. Those are things to keep in perspective when we tend to look short. Um. That was before three years ago, by the way, for those of us who don't have really long memories, was still before that was pre-pandemic. The the history of the universe is now divided in before COVID and after pandemic. So it's BC and AP. Anyway, um, why did it rise? Why did it rise 3.26% when a lot of people were expecting it to fall? 
Well, I could get into that. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, one of our favorite federal agencies, released a report, and we'll talk about that later. And it caused a pretty substantial jump in the stock market, and a lot of people get happy. We also follow the CRSP Midcap Value Index because we like midcap value. And it, uh, it rose 4.84% to 2501.13. That leaves it 3.7% down from its high. Yay! Um, it's up over 15% from June's low point. So it's turning along in the right direction as the stock markets move back towards up. They're still down. Um, so let's see what else. The 10-year Treasury note yield was at 2.84%, pretty much unchanged from last week. The yield curve remains inverted. Two-year note at 3.25%. And the best place, according to the economists we follow, to measure the yield curve is between the two-year note and the 10-year and the 10-year note, looking at the yield. So interest rates at two years are higher than they are at 10 years, which historically has said there's a reasonable probability of a bear market in the next 18 months or so. Um, whether that inversion is purely being generated by the Federal Reserve because the Federal Reserve is doing something in the Treasury bond market that they have not done before to this degree. So they could be distorting it. We don't know. It's all very secret stuff. Um, there's a, a lot of people are saying we will have a recession sometime before mid-2024. So if they're that good at predicting the future, they should get paid probably a lot more. Anyway, the West Texas Intermediate crude oil uh, climbed about 4% to $91.88. It's still a very reasonable price. Gasoline across the country, at least according to the reports, I didn't drive across the country and personally do a survey, uh, is down below $4 a gallon on average, regular gasoline. That's good. And that's the markets. Well done, markets. Thank you. Well, there's, more, there's more markets than that, but those are the ones that we report on. Right. Got anyway. Uh, there's some big news about inflation this month that I think, at least in the articles that I read in the regular press, if it's called press anymore, the newspaper articles and so on, they kind of missed it. Um, there's a, there's some things going on in the economy that I think are very, very positive. Uh, there was some discussion about it in the wall street journal, but mostly it was, uh, it was saying, no, this ain't. Don't pay any attention to this. Go away. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. The Bureau of Labor Statistics came out with its inflation, its monthly inflation report for the month of, of uh, July, and it was an important one. Now, it said year over year, which is the headline inflation that you read in the papers and so on if you read a paper, um, 8.5%, whereas last month it was 9.1%. Did inflation drop that much in one month? The 8.5% and the 9.1% are measuring from a year ago. And we have had over the last couple of years, maybe you haven't noticed it, but since the early 2020, we have had some very unusual things going on in the economy. What? What are you talking about? So, so, so that's absurd. A year ago, the economy was very different than it is today. Uh, normally, from year to year, in most years, the economy doesn't change that much. So if you look at inflation from year to year, it's measuring against a fairly standard set of metrics. This time around, it ain't so. But this is the important thing to read in the Consumer Price Index report that came out. Inflation from June to July, according to the Consumer Price Index, was zero. 
Let me say that again. It was zero. There was no inflation. The overall basket of goods and services that the consumer price index measured, the total price from June to July did not rise. Now, in a highly inflationary environment, and I have folks been in a highly inflationary environment. I remember it very, very well in the 70s and 80s. It, that number went up every month a bunch because it was inflation was set into the economy and it was going like gangbusters, whatever that you probably don't know what that means. But anyway, it was yeah, going sure. really it's, strongly. It's an antiquated term from the uh, Prohibition era. 19, 1920s, yeah. right? 100 yeah. years ago. Um, which tells you how old I am. Anyway, the, <laughs> the reality is inflation didn't level off during that time period back in the late seventies and eighties when the, uh, when inflation was taking off and, and, and doing things that everyone's afraid is going to do today. And the federal reserve did things that everyone seems to be afraid they're going to do today. What happened? Well, the price of fuel came down across the board. Um, Okay, so the price of energy fell 4.6%. Consider how high it was, that's not a lot. It's still up a bunch from the beginning of the year. If we take out food and fuel, we get something called the core CPI, the core consumer price index. It was rising, it rose during that one-month period, 0.3% or 3.6%. And that's still a lot. That's annualized 3.6%, yeah. Right. Since the rest of the inflation numbers are annualized, I'll just go ahead and annualize mine too, and that way we'll all everyone will be equal, equally equally confused. inaccurate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so if it's three point six percent is still too much, but here's the issue: there is a lag in inflation. Now, here's where if you really want to be in it, if you want to learn how to be a geek, geek. Uh, what you can do is do what we do. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Sorry, you, guys. Just, you just you don't go do back that. up. You go back up the chain, and there's something called the producer price index, which is also re released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Now, why the producer price index is followed by the Bureau of Labor Statistics is beyond my comprehension, but that's they make it up. It's laborious. That's, that's right. why. So the PPI for July was down half a percent, which is cool. Because there was fuel cost less, the the um, but but the PPI, the pure the producer price index, that the headline producer price index, is what wholesalers are charging retailers. You buy from retailers what the what the retailers are being charged by the wholesalers across the board for stuff and services. And the end result is that it was down half a percent. Well, that's not huge. That's nothing too terrible. So let's go a little further upstream. How much are the wholesalers paying the people they buy from? Here's where inflation gets its root. That number was up hugely six months ago. The producer price index intermediate number was down 12.4% in July. In other words, what wholesalers, the people, when I say wholesalers, the people who are making things that are sold to the real estate or, or the buying retailers. things that are to the retailers saw their cost of stuff drop 12.4% in one month. That is very significant. In yeah, other words, we can, we let, can let point me, at a bunch of places where that's happening too. Okay, uh, go ahead. Point. Um, right the, over there. Yeah, right over there and right over there. Uh, no, one of the big headlines since the pandemic started has been computer chips. 
And kind of across the board over the past month, computer chip demand has dropped, less people buying laptops and webcams and so on. And supply has increased faster than the demand has dropped. So that's causing a drop in the price of computer chips. And we've got a lot of manufacturing coming online in the next few years with more computer chips. Demand's dropped because people in Europe aren't buying as many things to expand because they're really flowing nicely into a recession. Uh, they're there already. Germany is fully in recession mode. Uh, they're not buying as much stuff. And so demand's down. Uh, the folks in Russia and Ukraine aren't buying stuff very much. Uh, well, they're buying ammunition. Well, they're actually getting loaned ammunition that they may buy at some point in the future if they survive. <laughs> so purchases uh, are down. Anyway, yeah, you, you had something so, to add. So what's happening is we're seeing inflation at the root drop rather quickly. Now, there's some other sources of inflation. It's a little complicated. We only have two minutes left in this first hour, so I'm not going to get into it right now. But the bottom line to it is inflation probably has peaked, which will leave the Federal Reserve room to not raise interest rates above the neutral rate, which leads us to think we may not get a recession or if, it's, if we get one, it's not very badly. And you had a bunch that you wanted to talk about, Mr. Well, I had something that I wanted to talk about. It, it is not very pleasant, and uh, it is really big picture stuff. But it's something to just bear in mind as you read the news and keep going. A couple of major things are happening in the world. And I mean major, major, gigantic, huge, ginormous things that only happen about once a century. One, and, and there's a couple of good books on this, and I could probably spend two hours talking about this, by the way. Structure and Change in Economic History by Douglas North talks about this, and he got a Nobel Prize in 91, I think it was, for the book, and then a couple of others. There, the collapse of the cost of communication creates tremendous socioeconomic instability and typically creates a major war, a major global war. We have had, as is historically, we have had a near complete collapse in the cost of communication across the world with digital communications. It literally is effectively free to receive information and it is free to public and to publish information, which means the quality of the information you receive has probably dropped dramatically while the volume has gone up absurdly. And you probably can all agree on that. And if you have a prejudice, you can find a channel somewhere or a source somewhere that will reinforce your prejudice and make you probably make more poor decisions than good decisions. Um, and you may not like that because me saying that because you like your prejudices and you want somebody to reinforce them. But that's the fact. Hearing different points of view on a subject leads to better decision making. Hearing a single point of view on a subject leads to poor decision making. This is going on all over the planet. Uh, it happens about once every 100 to 200 years, and it's happening. And in the past, when this has happened, um, there's some really good books on the subject. We've had major wars. Now, the second thing that's going on has gone on also before in history, and I have a book on order, which I haven't received yet, so I'm not going to review it, um, on the subject. But as major socioeconomic units, and these are sometimes referred to as empires, sometimes referred to as cultures. For instance, the Russian empire is still the Russian empire. It is not 
changed. It is a bunch of different language speaking people who are held together by a, effectively a, an imperial force out of Moscow. The same thing is true in China. There are numerous languages spoken across China. There are natively numerous nations in China, but there's one emperor in effect. It is the Communist Party in Beijing. Now, there's a third one in the world. There's actually two others in the world. One is the uh, generally Arabic-speaking group of nations who have a common religion, and the other one is the Western nations who have as their common religion democracy. Uh, we believe we worship the god Demos. Now, all this, what does all this mean? Well, it's the clash of empires, and there's many, there's been a number of very good books written on this subject. But it comes to a head, historically, it has come to a head at specific points in time. When an empire, when a cultural entity like China or Russia or the Western world, for that matter, sees that it is coming to a peak in power and now subconsciously or consciously realizing that their opportunity to fulfill their manifest destiny, which is a term that was coined in the United States, when their mystical destiny is either going to be fulfilled right now or they're never going to have the chance. They generally tend to take the chance. Russia is in a demographic decline. It's in an economic decline. The West recently, NATO, showed signs of uh, falling apart. Nations in Europe were spending too little on the military. President Trump said he wouldn't defend certain nations that are in NATO. If, uh, if a war started, say, if Russia invaded, I think it was Lithuania he was referring to, he said he wouldn't go, to over, wouldn't go to war over a country the size of Rhode Island, which is inaccurate in many, many ways, but he said that. Probably all of that together with the fact that Russia realizes any reasonable person looking at where Russia is going in a hurry says it's either now or never. You either take back what you think was properly yours to begin with and somehow was stolen from you, or you ain't ever going to get it. Probably was the main thing that caused Russia to attempt to do a blitzkrieg in Ukraine. Now, a lot of people have missed this, but the, the failure at the beginning of the Russian invasion of Ukraine was an attempt to duplicate the Germans' blitzkrieg by sweeping quickly through the country with light forces, putting down the resistance, and then follow on with logistics and heavy forces. What the Russians didn't take into account is the Ukrainians didn't just lay down and let them do it. The when the Germans came sweeping into Western Europe, the there was no defense and they could just run over it. And it didn't work very well, obviously, in this particular case. So now they're down to a World War One type war, which is not a good one for Russia to be in. So what is why, why am I bringing all this? What's the important thing? China, we have talked about, Jake talked about this a few minutes ago. It's crucial to understand that China is in socioeconomic. It, 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 this decade will be their peak. There's no question in any reasonable person's mind, that the 2030s will not be good for China. Their population will be shrinking, their, their non-working older population will be growing dramatically, and their method of taking care of the non-working older population by law is that the single son of that couple pays the couple. Uh, they don't allow immigration. They're xenophobic. They don't allow people who aren't Chinese to enter China and become part of China, not that anybody really wants to. That is deadly when you have population decline. And they recognize that they either take back Taiwan, grab the South China Sea where, there, where there's oil, where there is raw materials, and which the South China Sea, by the way, is critical for China's economic future because 
so much passes through there that they need. If you look back to World War II, you see that Germany was making that same decision. Japan was making that same decision before World War II. Now, does that mean we're going to have a war necessarily? No, but only if we are aware of these factors. And when we, as an electorate in the United States, look at who we elect to office, and we say, is this person likely to increase our security in a world that looks like this? Are they going to repeat history by becoming isolationists? That is a big decision that we as the elector, electoral people and we the electors in the United States have the ability to choose our leaders. And if we choose leaders that see the global picture and say, yes, we are entering into a dangerous period, we have to keep, we have to learn, we have to not relearn the lesson that we learned in World War II. Don't allow the war to come here before you start. Fight it over there when you see the threat and be prepared to compete in an unstable world, uh, those are critical things. And you've got your hand up, and we only have limited time left in this yeah. hour. Yeah, there's a, a good book that's just come out, Ray Dalio's uh, The Changing World Order, and I recommend it to just about anybody. His conclusions are, as he says, just his opinion, but the data that he presents is fantastic. One of those issues is that we're moving into a very changing period in history. It's not the only time it's happened. It's happened quite a lot of times. There's a nice cycle. You can watch that happen. We've been talking about this for a while. He puts the data down so that it's at least semi-easily digestible. China's a rising power. Now, having said that, they're also limiting their rise right now. There's 155 Chinese companies that are listed on the New York Stock Exchange as American depository receipts. And they're, those 155 that I'm talking about are in the process of being delisted because they're not sharing their financial data for our auditors to verify. They are, Five of them delisted this week. Yeah, Alibaba is one of the big ones that's on the list and that it may be coming up. So just be aware that they're limiting their growth by getting isolationist by saying nobody's allowed in here but China. We traditionally go the opposite direction. There are times when we haven't. And so just piling on with what you just said, it's important that we keep our eyeballs out and looking around and rather have the conflict elsewhere rather than here. In the meantime, before we wrap up, if you'd like to talk to us off the air, our email addresses individually, or if you'd like to, us to talk about it on the air, jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com. That's Tango, Papa, Whiskey, Charlie, uh, or the personal wealth coach. You can get voicemail at 254-947-1111 or 1-800-914-7526, 800-914-PLAN. We give individualized investment advice to people as well. I know we don't talk about that much on the air, but we do. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com, and sign up for newsletters, uh, read them there, or get them delivered. You can uh, listen to podcasts going back, listen to old radio programs. Call us when we're wrong. Look back. Until next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. Thank you very much for listening.